wherever you may be around the world. And thank you for your company once again on truthtoyou.org. That's truth2letteryou.org. I'm John and joining me is my very good friend and co-host of the Tanakh Tour, author of The Moses Scroll, Ross Nichols. It's been one year. It's been <laughs> one year since the Moses Scroll. Oh, come on. Uh, give us a quick uh, catch up on what's going on. Hey, that's that's right. One year, I posted a blog post. Just uh, I think I called it My Thoughts and Thanks because I really am appreciative of uh, all of our listeners and all of our friends who have bought the book and been very kind, very generous in their comments on the book. Uh, As you know, the subject is just never-ending. I've been just swamped with all this material dealing with Shapiro, Mm -hmm. with new projects and so forth. Uh, But yes, thank you for uh, bringing that up. It's been one year today as we record. It's actually one year and uh, so I'm very pleased. I'm humbled, uh, but I'm also very excited about what's in store because now, a year later, Jono, I'm even more convinced than I was when I published the book that we are dealing I. here with the most ancient biblical manuscript that's ever been discovered. How's that? Yeah, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. I, <laughs> And it's not from lack of uh, looking at... Uh, evidence to the contrary or, or the claims um, that this may be a forgery and so on and so forth. We're going to be talking a little bit about some of that today. Uh, but before we get into that, Ross, before we do, uh, we have to give everyone a update. We have some announcements. And we that do. Is, of course, we do. Uh, as I mentioned, you are a co-host of the Tanakh Tour. We're doing the Tanakh Tour, uh, Tanakh Tour this November in Israel uh, from the 3rd of November to the 11th. And we would dearly love for some listeners to come and join us. There is some uh, still some space available, but that's not the only tour that we're doing, Ross. Wait, before you get to the next tour, let's just say not only do we have this uh, tour November the 3rd through the 11th, I know that most of our listeners may know this, but remember the last time we talked, you know, some people said, well, I don't want to go, Jono. And you said, well, why don't you want to go? And they said, because I don't want to get vaccinated. Mm. Well, now, now... That's not an issue anymore. It's vaccinated not an issue and unvaccinated tourists are welcome in Israel as of March the first. That's right. That's it. Now, now, even so, we did come up with. You came up with a solution. You came up with an excellent solution, which plays quite nicely into our right. Moses scroll. Tell the people what you did. Okay, so before Israel said they were opening the doors to unvaccinated tourists, I said we have to do something, Jonah, and we got to thinking about it. Biblical Archaeology Review sent out some uh, email announcement about Jordan and a tour that was going to Jordan. I just, out of curiosity, because you and I have discussed going to Jordan, particularly because of the Moses Scroll and and all that the story has to do with Transjordan area, but also all the biblical sites, I wanted to look at a Jordan tour and see what the pricing was. And when I got to the page... The first thing I noticed was that to go to Jordan, you don't need vaccination. And you I don't said, need vaccination. hey, let's do that. So you and I talked. We put together a fantastic, it's a Tanakh tour as well. It's the Transjordan tour of the Tanakh tour. And so, hmm. so now, not only is Tanakh tour going to be world known and famous for its fantastic, unique tours of Israel... But now we've added to our repertoire the Jordan side of the equation. Mm-hmm. So, so now so we are, we're going to do them back-to-back is what we're going to do. We're doing back-to-back. So the, the biblical Jordan tour is going to kick off 
on the 13th, I do believe, the 13th of November. So in the first half of November, Israel. Second half of November is Jordan. And it finishes, I think, on the 21st of November. Gives you plenty of time to be back for Thanksgiving if you so desire. But I'm really looking forward to that. And and we've been sort of talking about that for a while. Uh, And the reason why, of course, is because the Moses Scroll was discovered in a cave in the Wadi Mujib. Now, for those who have been to Israel before, uh, probably uh, you, you went to En Gedi, you know, down near mm-hmm. um, Sardar there by the, by the uh, Dead Sea. And looking directly across the Dead Sea from En Gedi is the Wadi Mujib. That's where the Moses Scroll was discovered. And so much of the material of the, uh, of course, the Moses Scroll is, and within the story of the uh, wilderness wanderings and and uh, and so on and so forth, deals with the land of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Ammon yeah. the Gilad. There, there's all of this uh, moving up to the Bashan and so on and so forth. And so much of it happens there. This is where Reuben, the tribe of Reuben, settled Gad, uh, Manasseh. You know, one of the things that was a highlight for us when we talked about taking this tour to Jordan is the mm. idea that uh, our, you know, we were thinking a lot of people couldn't get into Israel because they weren't vaccinated and so our idea was that on the last day of the tour to take all of these unvaccinated friends of ours, take mm. them to the top of Nebo, and as you put so eloquently in the wording of the tour pitch, you said, can't get into Israel, neither could Moses. Now you know how he Now you feels. know how Moses felt. Yeah, so, that's right. So that, that's and- the idea. So we're going to go to Mount Nebo. We're going to go to the places that are associated with these ancient kingdoms of Amman and uh, you know, the uh, the different groups, Edom and so forth. And mm. we're going to chase down some things about the Moses scroll that we can only do in that place. Uh, we're going to, well, yeah, that's yep. right. We're going to view, we're going to view Israel as Moses viewed it, the land of Canaan as Moses viewed it. But we're also going to go and check out some of the other major highlights of, uh, of Jordanian tourism. Of course, Petra, how can we not do Petra? That's right. That's and, right. Uh, and the Wadi Rum, which is so incredibly uh, popular right down in the desert there, uh, just east of Aqaba. Uh, we're going to go to Aqaba as well. So um, there's a whole lot of places that we are going to go. Nine days in Jordan. If you haven't been there, we haven't been there. So no. we're, we're particularly uh, excited. That is in the latter half of November. Just go to TanakhTours.com. TanakhTours.com. There's a link uh on truth to you here just just hit that link and reserve your place because they're going quick yeah and look i wanted to say one other thing that i'm excited about seeing while we're there not only are we going to uh see some fantastic sites like in the field kind of thing but we're also going to the jordan museum which happens to have the copper scroll and i've always been fascinated with this mysterious copper scroll it's not in Mm -hmm. israel at the scroll of the book like so many Dead Sea Scrolls are, but it's actually in the Jordan Museum. So I want to see that. I want to see the Madaba map, which mentions Biblical Tamar. And one other thing about these tours that we need to remind people, I didn't know if anybody had the time or the means to do it, but we've already had one person for sure, Peggy, our friend Peggy, has already, she's already signed up for both. She said, look, I'm not going to go and not see both places, and it, you know, mm. I mean, you pay one plane ticket and you get both the both tours. So well, that's true. So we yeah, do that, have some. Well, not that only are, that, but you get a you get a hundred dollar um, combination discount too if you, you do go. both tours. And uh, so there's a bunch of people actually that put their hand up to do that. Uh, and g'day, Vicky, come on, get yeah, in, that's get right, on. that's Vicky right. Wants to get in on that, so, and and John and and there's a bunch of people anyway. 
Uh, so we are excited for this November. It's all green lights yep. from here on. Now the uh, the topic. Now we haven't recorded since last year. It's been it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, we've taken a break because, of course, here in Australia, it's beautiful summer, and uh, I have to go to the beach, and I've done that. <laughs> and <laughs> and and I went to the beach, and you know, I had my wedding anniversary, and so we've had That's a lot right. going on. But now. We're back, Jono, and we're ready, we're and we're ready to dig in and get back into the text. We are on it, and uh, what we're looking at now, where we're up to, is the last. We're going to do the last two together uh, okay. because we have to do the last two together. But this is the the last two uh, commandments. We're, we're dealing with the Decalogue, the last two commandments as they appear in the Moses Scroll, and it is a little different uh, than what we have in the canonical text. Shall I read it? Uh, yeah, you want to start with Shapira then, okay. Let's start with Shapira. Okay. Uh, we're up to, now this is the ninth commandment, uh, and, and I'll let you explain what it, what, how it is represented in, uh, in Deuteronomy and Exodus, but this is what it says. Okay. You shall not desire your neighbor's woman, his servant, his maidservant, or anything that is his. I am Elohim, your Elohim. Now, again, this is how we know that this is the end of a particular commandment or the end of this particular word is because God literally signs off on, after every uh, on one. each commandment. After yeah. every one. I am Elohim, your Elohim. This is uniform throughout. And then the final, let me just read the final one because we'll sure. get there eventually. The final one is, and this is number 10. Is it number 11, Ross, or is it number 10? <laughs> Let's get into that. Let's do that uh, in a few we'll minutes. get into that. This is the question. Uh, the final commandment is, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. I am Elohim, your Elohim. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. Now, uh, long-time listeners, and where I think this is number 17 in this in this particular uh, series, right. but we did a bunch of uh, recordings on the Shapira Scrolls just as a, a sort of a broad view right. um, on on this topic. And we we did uh, programs called I think I think one was called Are There Nine or Ten Commandments? Right, right, right. Uh, right. And, uh, and and the reason why we did that, Ross, is because when it comes to you shall not desire your neighbor's woman, his his servant, his maidservant, or anything that is his, um, in order to get to Ten Commandments, different traditions, and you know this obviously, different traditions will either split the first into two commandments or yeah. split the last, being this one in the canonical text, into two commandments. That's exactly so right. the Catholic Lutheran tradition divides the this one that we're dealing with now into two commandments in order to arrive at 10 commandments. Uh, and because they have correctly conflated no other gods with no idolatry in the first. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this, this division occurs between woman and property. You shall not desire your neighbor's woman. Uh, number, number nine, number 10 is you shall not desire your neighbor's property. Now, um, this is where we're up to. This is how it uh, the canonical text ends, and this is how they get 10. Why must they get 10, Ross? Just remind everybody. There are, you know, we say 10 commandments. People talk about the 10 commandments, the 10 commandments. Well, as you know, that phrase, 10 commandments, never occurs in the Hebrew. Now, it does occur in the English Bible, uh, but mm -hmm. it never occurs in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it says in three places, these are the 10 words which God spoke, right? So, now, so we now just know, to reiterate, because you just yeah. said you just only three places yep. does it say these are the ten words. Uh, just three places. Yeah. Uh, but these are the reasons why we look at the the Decalogue in 
uh, Exodus and, and in Deuteronomy, and, and uh, scholars look at that and they go, well, we must have 10. Surely this must divide down into 10. How can we divide this into 10? And there's different ideas and different traditions on how that is done. Ross, keep going. That's right. So just so people have those in their notes, Jonah, I said there are three references. The three references are Exodus 34, verse 28, Deuteronomy 4, verse 13, and Deuteronomy 10, verse 4. All record the name of these 10 words in the Hebrew, it says literally the ten words, Aserat HaDevarim. Mm-hmm. So we know that they're ten, so you have to make them ten. But when you read, if you were just to pick up uh, Exodus chapter 20 and read the giving of the ten words, and you, you tried to, to count them, it, you could come up with different numbering systems. Like you said, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Protestants come up with one, uh, the Catholic Lutheran have another, and the Rabbinic Bible is is somewhat different. Well, I used to think, well, I'm just going to go with what the Jews came up with, and all these Christian denominations are just simply wrong. Mm. But there's a reason, and it's a really good reason. Now, get this. You know, Jono, I'm not Catholic or Lutheran, but there's mm. a very interesting reason why I would prefer their count at least as far as the canonical text goes, over what the Jewish uh, mm-hmm. uh, count is. And and so we're going to get into that. So how do you count the 10? And and a big part of that is this, what, what I guess we could call the word concerning coveting. Coveting. Now, I translate it desire, as you saw. It's chet mem dalet. And people can look this word up in their concordance or blue blue. What's it called? Blue letter Bible. Online? Blue letter Bible. Okay. Mm, mm. You know, however you. I love blue. By, by the way, let's yep. just pause for a second. I love blue letter Bible. I just want to it's talk good. that up for a while. Um, yeah, it is good. It's really really handy. It's also they've also incorporated in there the the um, what is it, the Brown Driver Briggs uh, notes into that now, which are, are really exceptional. I mean, this, this the work that uh, that they did is brilliant, and uh, in conjunction with the Strongs. Uh, it really gives you a well-rounded idea of uh, words and usage in the Hebrew. And I love using the uh, the Leningrad Codex that yeah. they have available there, searching for um, uh, and the search function. It's just, it's just a really good tool. If you're not using Blue Letter Bible, have a crack at it because there's some really good stuff there. And it's free, right? It's a free online free. source. You just oh, you yeah. go to it and you dig in. Now, I'm telling you. So I, I agree. I think people ought you we even if people don't know Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, using good tools like you mentioned, lexicons, concordances, anyone who truly desires to get at the source of things can go back to the original languages. So I encourage that as well. Now, what I'd like mm. to do, Jono, to kick this off, we're only talking about this thing about coveting. And what I'd like to do is read that from Exodus and then read it from Deuteronomy. And then I'm going to talk about some differences. Now, remember, Uh if you take the 10 words in Exodus 20 and the 10 words in Deuteronomy 5, and I have this document on my academia page, and you compare them one to the other, you're going to notice that, now remember, in both books, in Exodus and Deuteronomy, it says these are the words that God spoke, and here they are. It's the word of God, Jono. You would think, it, right? You would think that these two would match. Would they absolutely should match. match. They and, should absolutely match. But they and, don't. And, and but they're different. Not only are they different, they're they're obviously different um, to the uh, Moses scroll. One thing that I noticed, which was interesting, uh, is that Exodus uh, 
and Deuteronomy elaborate on the list of possessions. I think Exodus. Oh yeah, wait. Uh, we're, well, we're... Exodus and Deuteronomy have ox and ass. I wait, think. we're not there yet, Jonah. You're getting ahead. Hold on. Don't don't do that yet. <laughs> we have to do it. Hey, Go look. Ahead. But let me just say this. So one other thing, some people might think, well, if you're looking at the Hebrew, it's going to be better. You know, the English just messes it up. But let me tell you this. If you count the Hebrew words in Exodus version of the 10 words, allegedly spoken by God from the mountain, from the midst of the fire, on the day of assembly, count them, 172 words. And then you, you pencil that in, 172 Exodus. And then you flip over to Deuteronomy 5 and you read the words that God spoke from the mountain, from the midst of the fire, to an assembly of people on the day of assembly, from the midst of the fire. Count them up, you get 189. That's a now significant that's, difference. That's significant. Yeah. Okay, so, so part of the reason we're going to talk about, you're going to see a few of the differences today as we talk about the, the coveting command or mm. the, the word about coveting. So if we can do that, let's read Exodus 20's version Then we're going to read Deuteronomy 5, and then we're going to draw out those differences and ask why. Go on. All right. Oh, you want me to do it? All right. Oh, I can read it if you want. No, that's okay. Where are you at? You you do Exodus 20, and I'll do Deuteronomy 5. But what translation are you using? Well, I just... You have uh, your JPS? I can use the JPS. Let's do that. Let me grab that off the shelf. All right, here we go. Oh, look, I've got a bookmark there. That's good. Nice Jewish translation. It is. And this is from verse 14. Uh, You shall not covet your neighbor's house... You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female slave, or his ox or his ass, or anything that is your neighbor's. Oh, by the way, yeah, I have to make a correction. Ah. Uh, when we were talking about the uh, Shabbat commandment, and I said, you know what? There's no reference in here to uh, to slaves because this is uh, a differentiation. This is a difference between uh, Deuteronomy and Exodus, uh, Exodus as to the reason why. Shabbat is a commandment. Um, But I correct myself because here you see that there actually is a reference to uh, servants or slaves. But um, anyway, moving on. That's what it says in verse 14. I have to ask you something. I'm going to make a note here. You said servant. Now, would you expect, Jonah, just because I'm curious that you brought that up, would you expect it to say servant or not? Uh, Is the word in Hebrew evid? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I, I, I mean, what you just mentioned—you you said you had to correct yourself. Had you previously said that the ten words did not mention servant? I just want to make sure I follow you. I I seem to recall that I may have said something to that effect, okay. uh, and and I bounced off the uh, the fact that the Moses scroll uh, rendering of Shabbat commandments did not invoke the reason from Deuteronomy that referenced. Uh, for you were slaves in Egypt and and da 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 da. da. Okay. Um, so if I did say that, I'm correcting myself now. Okay. Okay. Well, wait until you hear what I found today. Only today, All right, okay. Jonah. All right. The oh, reason wow. right. you caught my attention when you said servant, and maybe it wasn't in there, maybe it is. Okay. Now, but but I'm not there yet. I'm going to read first okay. of all. Deuteronomy 5.18. Now, I believe if some of our listeners are reading from a standard English Christian Bible, it's going to be 5.21, I believe. But mm-hmm. 5.18 in the Hebrew or in a Jewish Bible. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not crave your neighbor's house or his field or his male or female slave or his ox or his ass or anything that is your neighbor's. 
Now, one thing that I'm teaching my group on Saturday mornings when I do my classes, mm-hmm. uh, I'm teaching them to pay attention to, um, is you, you have to pay very, very close attention uh, to what you're reading, particularly if it's a passage or a story that's told in two places. Give you an example. The one mm-hmm. we're talking about tonight, we have uh, the 10 words are given in Exodus, they're given in Deuteronomy. If I read the ones in Exodus, according to the annual cycle of, of uh, Parshot, it's going to be six months before I get to Deuteronomy. And I probably won't recognize differences between the two. So Mm -hmm. I'm training my group to think in terms of what I call horizontal reading. Vertical reading is you read Exodus, then you read Leviticus, then Numbers, then Deuteronomy. Horizontal reading is I compare two similar texts. Okay, you read Exodus 20's version of the covet command. I read Deuteronomy 5's. And you know, I bet mm-hmm. most listeners couldn't really detect a whole lot of difference. You know, I mean, think about it. We talk about uh, you're not supposed to desire your neighbor's wife, the house, the ox, the donkey. The, you know, it, it kind of all blends together. But when you take it word by word, here are some things I want to point out. In Exodus chapter 20, it begins with the prohibition of coveting your neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. Neighbor's house, Jono, is house. Like, I don't mm. know what, you, my neighbor has a decent house, and I'm, I would take that to mean I don't covet my neighbor's house. That's the first thing on the list. But if sure. I read Deuteronomy's, which also claims to be the words of God spoken from the midst of the fire on the day of assembly, it says there, you shall not desire your neighbor's woman, Mm -hmm. okay? So I I find that to be an interesting variant. Now, a lot of people might say, "Ah, it doesn't matter, you know, whether you get one before the other as long as they're the same. Well, I want to hold this to a higher standard. But so Exodus and Deuteronomy begin differently. Exodus, lo tachbod beit reecha. No, don't, you shall not desire the house of your neighbor. And then mm-hmm. in Deuteronomy 5, Velo takmod asher reecha. You shall not desire the woman of your neighbor. All right, next thing. After Deuteronomy's version opens with this idea of don't covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's woman, there is what we call a white space. It's in a lot of Hebrew Bibles. There are two breaks in the text. One in the, according to the Masoretic breaks in the text, you would have what's called a setumah. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a closed space. And some Hebrew Bibles indicate this with a Hebrew letter samic. And, right. and so what that generally does, not always, but generally it indicates my thought is over. It's, like a, yep. it's sort of like a punctuation. Uh, it's not really a period. It's not anything like that, but it indicates my first thought, don't covet the wife of my neighbor. That's a command. That's a word. Mm. Now, interestingly enough, Jono, the Lutherans and the Catholics read it that way. Right. Okay? So they see the white space and they go, oh, there's a division. There's our nine and there's our ten. Not only that. Get this. Let, I'm, I'm talking Deuteronomy. This is hard to follow uh, unless people are taking notes. But So remember the word for covet. We, we're mm-hmm. using covet because it's so popular. Desire. 
don't desire your neighbor's woman, don't covet your neighbor's woman, commandments over. That's number nine. Mm. Now, mm. the next phrase in Deuteronomy 5 is, uh, it, it uses a different word instead of covet, the, the tachmod that we thought we would see, we see a different word. The root word there is uh, Aleph Vav Hey. Now, the JPS notes this by translating, you, you heard me say crave. Mm. So it's, it's similar in meaning. It's similar. Like but it's one, a different word. But it's a different word. So mm. I find it interesting that the Lutheran and Catholics really said, okay, you're not supposed to covet your neighbor's wife. And oh, by the way, you're not supposed to crave the house of your neighbor his field, his servant, his maidservant, his ox, his donkey, and everything that is to your neighbor. All right. Mm. So you, you have clearly. So, so let me get this. Yeah. Let me get this right. So, so the uh, the Catholic Lutheran tradition uh, not only looks at the text and sees that it is fair that there is a division not only in uh, uh, by white space, but also in thought uh, by use of uh, the vocabulary but also that they are favoring the Decalogue of Deuteronomy over Exodus. Is that correct? That's that's the way I understand it. And I only yeah. understand that now. You know, used to it was easy to just say, well, they're Catholics and Lutherans. I mean, how could they possibly be right? You know, they split it right there. Why do they split it right there? Is that's it, stupid. As, just... you're, <laughs> as you're saying, though, I remember as a kid, uh, you know, growing up in in Protestant Christianity, and um, you know, being told that all the all the Catholics are going to hell, of course, yeah, what a of terrible course. thing. And uh, you know, and, and they even do you know do you know that they even divide the Ten Commandments differently? Yeah. <gasps> <gasps> well, that is clearly a trick of Satan. I have <laughs> said that to people, Jonah. I've told <laughs> Catholics they're going to hell for getting this wrong. I've argued that very point, and now, so I hope now. That all those oh, Catholics dude. and Lutherans that I have ridiculed in the past are listening tonight, and and I can sorry tell them that. I am truly, truly sorry. You had the better understanding of this text than anybody else. So there, mm. I've done it. I'm I've got um, a clean conscience. It's okay. okay. Now, so uh, Deuteronomy five, very interesting. It separates uh, the the coveting of neighbor's wife. That's one. And then it gives a whole nother one about don't crave, and then it lists all these other things you're not supposed to crave. Now, now let me if, let me ask you a question. Go ahead. And this is probably yeah. where you're going. Yeah. Uh, you have in your translation, you shall not desire. Now, I'm just wondering, does that correspond to covet or crave? Uh, pro- it, well, oh, oh, in the Moses scroll, mm. covet, covet, covet. There we go. Yeah. Keep going. Yep. Okay. So then you go, well, all right, well, that's Deuteronomy. Well, is there a white space or is there a setuma or a break in Deuteronomy? There is not, Jono. There's not. Mm. Uh, both begin with different phrases, as we pointed out. Now, the interesting thing is, is that Exodus also, although it begins with don't covet the, the uh, het mem dalet, just like we have mm. in Deuteronomy about the woman, it has that about the house of your neighbor, whereas the house of your neighbor is not to be craved in Deuteronomy. I'm just using mm-hmm. our English translation here. In, in yep. Exodus, it's consistently, does, it never uses this word that we've translated crave. It, in mm. Exodus, it never uses the root word aleph vav hey. It always uses chet mem dalet. So, mm-hmm. so there's a different, like one says don't crave, the other says don't covet. Now, it does say, don't covet, 
or don't desire the wife of your neighbor. So that phrase matches exactly, even though they're ordered differently, between Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. You follow? Right. So yep. that's that's right. Now, what happens next is sort of interesting. Not only is the order confused or different, let's say. Let's just say different. That sounds better. Uh, not only is it different, but in Deuteronomy's version, there are some additional things, you know, so mm. first of all, both of them say, both of them say, and all which is your neighbor, and all which is to your neighbor. So, mm-hmm. in other words, if if I said to you, Jono, don't covet the wife of your neighbor, and and oh by the way, uh, nothing else that belongs, anything that belongs, anything to him, that is his, you yeah. could go. Well, that, that pretty much wraps it up. And then if, that, that, if yeah, it covers but it. if I told you that, you could say, well, what about his donkey? I'd say, yeah, anything that's your neighbor's, Jono. And you said, but but mm. what about his ox? Yeah, anything that's your neighbor's. What about his house, Ross? Can I covet his house? No, Jono. Anything that belongs <laughs> to your neighbor. Don't desire his woman, and don't crave anything that belongs to him. That's now, pretty now, simple. Now, by the way, Russ, yeah, that's pretty simple. And 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 by the way, just to um, uh, for the sake of clarity, it's not a matter of you know looking at uh, over at your neighbor's place and lo- and seeing that they've got a nice new car, and you think, hey, you know, I like those cars. I might look into that. Maybe I'll take one for a test drive. That's right. not not the same thing. It's it's looking at your neighbor's car, going, I want that car. Yeah. I want yeah. his car. How yeah, it's do I like get it's that? like your tongue is hanging out of your mouth. You're like, <laughs> you know, you're really <laughs> panting after. You want to make thing. what is his yours, and that's yes. that's the difference. That's as opposed right. to maybe getting something similar, you know, for your own. Yeah. It's a different thing. Yeah, yeah that's go ahead. right. Okay, so we have differences, and that's clear. And and uh, so when I look at these two, I say it appears that there has been some editing going on in one of the two or in both of them. And, mm. and, and I feel comfortable saying that with all due respect because if God spoke these ten words from the mountain, from the midst of the fire, on the day of assembly, he inscribed them on two tablets of stone and gave them to Moses. We have This is That's what right. I'm presently teaching on the weekends. If if that's a done deal, we would expect there to be some um, some accuracy and consistency mm. between any account yeah. ever. As right? I say, either when, when you have differences like this, either one of them is wrong or both of them are wrong, but they're yeah. not both correct. This, right. it, we have to conclude with that. Go ahead. Now, so now we come back to Shapira's document. Now, I found something tonight. Now, one of the things that I did... We and I have to say this before I get into this, Jonah, so it makes sense. Mm. I have here's what the world has, thanks to our research and the book and, and the articles that I've posted on academia and so forth. In the 19th century, Ginsburg, Christian David Ginsburg, one of the greatest mm-hmm. biblical scholars, Hebraist of all time, spent about four and a half weeks transcribing from the paleo on the tablets before him, um, not the tablets, on the, the leather strips before him from Shapira, mm. uh, and, and he would write what was in paleo on uh, paper, and then he ultimately submitted it to a paper called the Athenium, like mm. the New York Times of England at the time. Big, big paper. Sure. And, and in a series of three postings, three weeks, of, three weeks consecutively on Saturdays, He came out with, here's this portion of the text, here's that, here's that. Now, Mm -hmm. generally, 
when when he would get to a place that's difficult to read, let's say he gets to a word. Remember, this isn't just like a modern Hebrew Bible. This is purportedly this is an ancient leather, like a Dead Sea Scroll. And yeah. so, so some of the words... Well, quite literally it, a Dead Sea Scroll. I mean, yeah, it was found exactly. by the Dead Sea. That's right. So, and, 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 yep. and so it's, some of them are black, more black than others. There's difficult places to read. And then there were holes in it where, well, we know there are indications uh, where the transcriber would say, you know, I couldn't read this word. So Gupta's mm. not as careful in telling us what he's having a problem with. I know this. Uh, now. Gin- Ginsburg or Gupta? Where? Ginsburg. Sorry, Ginsburg. Ginsburg. Okay. Did I say Ginsburg? Yeah. Or... You, you said you said Gupta, but I, I just thought we suddenly okay. jumped to Leipzig. Uh, but sorry, sorry. Just yeah. just to remind yeah. everyone, there's there's a couple of transcriptions that are made. That's what I'm going to uh, talk and... about. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I I didn't mean to jump ship on you. I'm I'm only talking sure, about right. Ginsburg here. <laughs> so when Ginsburg gets to a difficult word. Sometimes he will tell us dot, dot, dot. Like, I can't read this. There are a certain number of letters I can't read. But he doesn't never, he never tells us how many letters. He just puts dot, 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 an ellipsis if he can't read a text. He's not so careful. I'm talking about at Ginsburg. Um, when he sometimes will reconstruct a text, like let's say he says, you know, I think that the word here is supposed to be Elohim, because I can almost make out an aleph, and I can almost make out a mem, and the context suggests to me that this is Elohim. I'm going to go ahead and reconstruct Elohim. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Ginsburg would put that in brackets, letting us know this is my proposed reading here. But he's not consistent. He doesn't always do mm-hmm. that. I know why. I can prove it now. And then now, now we're going to go back in time a couple of weeks Prior to Ginsburg working on the text, uh, two scholars in Germany, Hermann Goethe and Edward Meyer, spent the first week of July 1883 in Leipzig uh, at a hotel where uh, Shapiro was staying, and they worked in his room and they transcribed it as well. Now, they only had four good days, and on Friday, July the 6th, 1883, they tell me that it was raining so hard and it was so dark and stormy. You know, this is 1883. They didn't have great Mm. lights in the rooms, and so they couldn't hardly see to double-check their work. They tell us this. So they had four Mm. days, basically, where Ginsburg had four weeks. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because whenever Goethe and Meyer transcribe... If they can't read a word, but let's say they can tell there are three letters they just can't quite make out. They they, they see three characters, but they're too, uh, it's on darkened leather or they can't quite. So what they do is they put an asterisk for each mm. character that they know is there, but they can't identify it. So a three-letter word that they can't read, but they they don't guess. They just put three asterisks. If they reconstruct a word, meaning they know that, for our example previously, like Ginsburg, if they read a sentence and they say, look, I can't make out Elohim, but I can make out the Aleph and I can make out the Mem of Elohim, there's the right... The context certainly suggests... it's Elohim. Now, they do that sometimes, but they will put it in... Not only will they put it in brackets, but they will put Aleph, 
asterisk, mm-hmm. asterisk, mem, more often than not, they don't hardly right. ever guess. So let okay. me let me just, uh, if, just to be sure that I'm understanding what you're saying, you're, you're explaining to us that in the reconstruction and transcription of the texts, yeah. Ginsburg will not necessarily dictate the rules by which he comes to any conclusion. And he certainly doesn't always say there's enough space for X amount of letters. But when we're dealing with Guter and Meyer only a couple of weeks before in Leipzig, they are absolutely saying we can't read this, um, but we're fairly certain these are the amount of letters that we can't read. Amen. And they're indicating that. Okay. That's right. That's right. So hopefully that's that's, that's right. clear to the listener. So now, so what I decided to do when I published the Moses Scroll, I didn't have Shapira's transcription, but Shapira also transcribed the manuscript. We know he made three transcriptions of the manuscript, and Idan Dershowitz, the scholar mm. who wrote the Valediction of Moses, found three pages of Shapira's transcription, and it happens yeah. to be from the beginning can you up, imagine? up through the no, ten but, words. Yeah. Yeah, but can you imagine being Idan? Because he was in, uh, what was it, the Berlin Library yeah. or the museum, he, and he, he's Stats going Biblio through some tech. notes. Yep. And, and, and imagine being him and happening upon, I mean, have you spoken to him about when he discovered this? Oh, yeah, and, and ima- you're right. Imagine he, he probably yelled. He didn't admit that he yelled, but but he found this, and listen, the book that he found it in is not like, it's just a collection primarily of in Shapira's hand where he's recording different manuscripts. See, he sold hundreds of manuscripts throughout the mm. world. Certainly, uh, uh, indisputably authentic old manuscripts that he picked up in Yemen mm. and all over the, the Mediterranean world. So here is a collection of books when Shapira died his wife kind of scooped up the papers on his desk, stacked them down, and she gave them to Hermann Strock, who figures into our story. He's a German scholar mm-hmm. in Berlin. Strock gives the paper to Maury Steinschneider. I, I expect we're going to do a test at the end of this, so everybody has to remember all this. <laughs> Steinschneider binds these up, but evidently he didn't really sort them. He just said, let's put a binding on this and put it in the Stotts Bibliothek in the State Library Mm. in Berlin. That's where they stayed untouched, undiscovered until Idan. Idan finds this huge book. He's thumbing through it, reading Shapira's descriptions of all these manuscripts, and he, bam, he comes upon a page written in purple ink, mm. and he, he looks at it. He's brilliant. He's a, a Harvard scholar. He's a Hebraist. He says, uh, this this is a Shapira manuscript. So mm. he, he reads one page, and then he, he's looking frantically. He goes through the book. He finds another purple page, same color ink, and it's mm-hmm. another page from Shapira's transcription. He does more. He digs, 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 and, and after going through the whole book, he finds three pages which cover from A1, fragment A, verse 1, all the way through basically the end of the ten words. Almost, mm. not quite. Mm. So so here's the deal. So what I did when I published the Moses Scroll, I didn't have Shapira, but I wanted to take the two transcriptions. I have a transcription from Leipzig and I have a transcription from uh, uh, London. And I wanted mm-hmm. to mesh them together so that I'm looking at what did these scholars see. I wanted to produce, for the first time ever, 
uh, a transcription which represented what those 19th century people saw. So here's mm-hmm. the way I did it. I'm going to do this as quickly as possible, but it's important. I took, if I used Ginsberg, spent four and a half weeks on it. So his is more complete. Uh, Guta and Meyer had four days, and so they have a lot of gaps. Uh, like, I don't know, I can't read it. Dot, 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 asterisk, mm-hmm. asterisk, asterisk. Where they, where they, where they're certain, I feel confident. Where they're not so certain, there are a lot of gaps. So, mm-hmm. I took the two together, and for instance, in line one, it says these are the words which Moses spoke to the children of you know, and it goes, it's this mm-hmm. many words, and of the let's say ten words in line one, I could actually count them, but I'm not. Uh, Guta and Meyer only saw four. So the way I could represent that in a single document for my readers is if one person sees a word, letter, or line, that text is gray, meaning it's Mm -hmm. not quite as clear to the eye. However, if two different transcribers separated by distance between Leipzig and London, they never looked at each other's work, if Mm. in line one they recorded the same word, exactly the same, I made that black. So when you look at my transcription, if it's black, that means, in my understanding, my interpretation, there's no doubt. This is exactly what it said. Where it's gray, one guy sees it, the other not. And look, sometimes it's Gutemeyer, sometimes it's Ginsburg. It goes back and forth. Mm -hmm. It depends. Now, uh, the reason that I'm getting into this now is when I found that Dershowitz had, Edan Dershowitz had found Shapira's, I was curious. So I made one document, it's on my academia page, that shows line by line, fragment A, line one, here's what Shapira saw, here's what Guta saw, here's what Ginsberg saw, here's what Dershowitz came up with for his transcription. And so Mm -hmm. I did line-by-line comparison of the whole document. I have typed the Moses scroll in Hebrew so many times I can almost do it without looking. Not quite, but I'm getting there. Mm. So so then, then I decided, you know what I need to do? I need to produce a table, Jono, where I list in order, word-by-word, so I have, uh, and this is also on my academia page, it's 70 pages long. So I have fragment A, uh, column uh, A, line one, word one, letter one, you know, all that. Mm. So, so it's exa- I know exactly what was written in order, or at least what each of the transcribers saw. Fast forward, now we're ready to look at this command of Shapira's. Right. When, when I produced my transcription... I didn't go to the detail that I have now. Remember, we're a year into this game. Mm. At the time, I only had a certain amount of information. Now I can do it very, very precisely. So if you look at what I have for Shapira's block in Hebrew, uh, I have Lotak mode and then the interpunct, uh, which basically I'll skip the interpuncts, but I'll say, uh, you shall not covet, or you shall not desire, the wife, and then there's three dots, meaning that word is missing. Mm-hmm. You follow me? Now, the, the next word says his servant. Now, I put that in my transcription because Ginsburg had it in his, but I went back tonight, Jono. I'm going through mm-hmm. this now, and what mm-hmm. I realize is that uh, Guta didn't see anything about a servant in there. 
And oh, really? And and he doesn't indicate a space for it. So I'm really? re- I'm revising my document because now I know that Ginsburg speculated there. Now I'm going to footnote that right? this. Yes. So get this. So here's what it should say. Whether right or wrong, or people can argue that this is a forgery all they want to, none of that has any bearing on this conversation. What I'm suggesting is that when you look at Guta's, he gives three asterisks where I have the ellipsis from Ginsburg. So it would say, Uh according to Guta, it would say, you shall not desire the wife of your neighbor, his maidservant, that is in there, or all which is to him. Now, let me tell you what I think now. It's interesting, some people interpret this, this desire, this craving, is, is it has to do with, it can be associated with a lusting after. It doesn't have to mean uh, lusting after a woman necessarily. It could be lusting after a thing, I suppose. But what I'm mm-hmm. suggesting is, is that the you're not supposed to uh, desire the wife or the woman of your neighbor or the maidservant, which would be also a temptation for a man in the ancient society, you see. Sure. Uh, or, course. by the way, all which belongs to him. And then it says, huh. I am Elohim, your Elohim. Interesting. So, so I, now, what I'm going to do now, because literally just moments before we talked to each other on the phone and went live on the recording... Uh, I had found this, so I've got a little bit of digging to do. In other words, right. I want to look because for... my next question, obviously, is how is this represented in Shapira's transcription? Uh, it, it's not. It's not. I'm looking at it. Okay. Here, hold on. Let, let's see. Yeah. I'm looking for um, where are we at? E D. Uh, one second. E D six. Yep. I'm looking. Okay. Oh, by this point, Shapira has no longer. We don't have a transcription for him. Uh, okay, it's on yeah. page number four, which we don't have. That's right. Okay. That's right. All right. So, so what this means is, by this point, Shapira's out. We only have Guta and Ginsburg, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> Ginsburg. Neither Ginsburg or Guta have the word "your neighbor." By the way, they don't have your mm-hmm. neighbor. Ginsburg indicates um, the ellipsis. And Guta indicates three letters three we can't letters, make out. Right. And guess what they are? They they neighbor. they they must be neighbor. Raish, Ian, uh, Kof, or or this is another or it could be poss- brother. Yes, I was going to say mm. that. Now, what's interesting yeah. is that leads us into word number ten, and word number ten does say your brother. So the question True. is: Is it is it consistent? Do you, you know, so all these questions come up now. We've got to go back and think about this, <clears throat> but here's one thing that I would suggest. The interesting thing, when you look at Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, and Shapira together, you have one thing that is very consistent, and that is this. You shall not desire the wife or the woman of your neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. It also mentions uh, maidservant. And then it says it slightly differently, but it does say, or all which is to him. Mm. Uh, Now, what uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy say, all which is to your neighbor, whereas uh, Shapira doesn't say neighbor, 
So that makes me question whether the three letters were neighbor or were they brother, your brother or your neighbor. It's it's really interesting because I'm just looking at the corresponding blessing and curse. And Mm. just to remind the listeners, every single word Mm. that is spoken in the Shapiro document also has a corresponding blessing and a corresponding curse. It doesn't we don't have that in the canonical texts, either in Deuteronomy or Exodus. Uh, Fascinating stuff. We don't have time to do that, but we did a, a program. If you search for it, you'll find uh, blessings and curses. So, um, but you know the the eighth commandment in the Shapiro document, the Moses scroll, uh, you shall not respond against your brother with a testimony of deceit. In the blessing, it refers to neighbor. In the cursing, it refers to associate. In uh, the one that we're talking about now, mm-hmm. uh, ref- we're we're assuming neighbor could be could be brother. Uh, in the blessing, it, it refers to neighbor, and in the cursing, it refers to neighbor. In the one we're about to do, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, the blessing refers to neighbor, and the cursing refers to brother. So it's interesting. It could go either way. <laughs> That's right. Uh, either either. But it's certainly, it seems like they are interchangeable, and when you say one, it inf- it, it infers the other. Would that be fair? Yeah, it does. But, but I tell you, I'm going to go, uh, I've already got this in my notes, I think it is... Uh, neighbor because of what you just said. The first thing I did was I checked the corresponding blessing and curse, and because it references the wife of your neighbor, I went back and looked at the Hebrew. It's clear in those cases, so therefore I would assume, I think rather safely, that I can put in brackets that I'm reconstructing neighbor, your neighbor, Mm. and by the way, that's what Dershowitz did as well. So fair enough. Uh, we're we're good on that now. But this next one is sort of a a big deal, and I'll tell you why. And I can do it a lot quicker than I did the other. I, I apologize for going on and on. I just felt it important to cover that about the transcription. Mm. Now, in this particular one, this is clearly the tenth one. So if you, as you said, they're all clearly indicated. Because at the end of each word, meaning the ten words, at the end of each mm. com- commandment, if you will, there is the phrase, I am Elohim, your Elohim. Well, this one says, you shall not hate, no, you shall hate, you shall not hate your mm. brother in your heart, I am Elohim, your Elohim. Now, what happened is, this caught, as you can imagine, in the 19th century, in 18. 18- 83, every newspaper writer picked up on this and said, oh no, this is an interesting text. It One of the things that's so fascinating is that it has uh, an extra commandment. And that commandment is, you shall not hate your neighbor or your brother in your heart. And so mm. every newspaper picks this up. And so one of the things that I did was I went back through, when I was writing the book, obviously, I went through basically every newspaper article I could find that dealt with this. And here are a couple of things that I recorded in uh, an article on my academia page. The Jewish Chronicle on the 3rd of August, 83, reported this. It needs scarcely be stated that if this turns out to be correct... These pieces of leather will possess a high value, not only in money, this is before the decision came down that it was a forgery, but also in a literary sense, for they contain some curious variations in the reading, among which we have an extra commandment, which is, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. That's the end of the quote uh, from the Jewish Chronicle. 
Now, this claim is picked up. Every modern writer, 2013, the Times of Israel wrote a a paper called, an article called, In the Footsteps of the Master Forger. By now, he's a forger in their mind. The report begins in 1883. Respected antiques dealer Moses Wilhelm Shapira claimed to possess ancient scrolls of Deuteronomy. The text differed slightly from the accepted version. It has an 11th commandment. Mm -hmm. So everybody picks up on this. So I found that it was necessary, and I've written a couple of pieces on this on my blog. Uh, And we did a show on it. 10 or 11, which one? Mm. The truth is, it's number 10, and although the canonical text, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, it's hard to come up with 10. The most ingenious attempt at that is the Catholic Lutheran Mm. uh, attempt. But it's really difficult. But here, no doubt. Now, the next thing they said is, and this is big too, <clears throat> they the are the people who who argue against the uh, authenticity of this document say, "Oh, I, I see what he did. He borrowed this from Leviticus 19." Mm-hmm. And and now here's the truth of the matter. If you look at Leviticus 19:17, uh A, the first part of that verse, it is an exact match other than it spells some words plain, meaning that there are vowels in the middle which the Shapiro manuscript sure. doesn't have. But it says the same thing, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. So that was the first claim they came out with. Look, whoever the forger did this, he stole this from Leviticus 19. The next thing they do is rather interesting. They said, you know what? I, I got it. I know what this is. This is a Christian document. Now, this sets my hair on fire, Jono. <laughs> <laughs> so what the, the reason why they do that is that they're, uh, because Shapira was a, uh, a Jewish convert to, to Christianity, and it can be argued that um, for political purposes that may have been the case. Yep. And or it, you know it was it was the case that he was uh, converted as was um, uh, David Ginsburg for that matter. Yeah. Um, but uh, it is an interesting thing that uh, the accusation is is oh look he's just trying to to uh, appeal to his Christian audience. Yeah. Um, by emphasizing this particular commandment, Rob. Yeah, and and here's what they do. So so this has been picked up a few times. There's a scholar uh, in in the 1900s, in the 20th century, uh, Teicher, T-E-I-C-H-E-R, and he believed that it was authentic, the manuscript, meaning he thinks it's an ancient Dead Sea Scroll, but what he says, it's a sectarian document, it's written by Christians, and, and, and the reason he suspected that was because in his understanding, and I'm paraphrasing his view, I'm summarizing it, he says, you know, just like Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor, on these two commands hang all the commandments. So there you go. It's Christian. Uh, Guta, <laughs> by the way, Guta made a very similar statement but doesn't take it as far. I, I have a lot of mm-hmm. respect for Guta. But he does mm-hmm. say, you know, it's hard to miss this association with Christianity. So he, he kind of just glosses over it, but he does mention it. So you have Teicher. And then you have a guy in modern times, uh, a professor at Boston University by the name of Jonathan Clawens. Now, mm. a few weeks after Shapira's man, uh, Shapira's uh, Edan Dershowitz's book comes out, Clawens comes out firing both guns. He gets an article in Bar Magazine, Biblical Archaeology Review, 
and he, he argues this case. He says, basically, look, this manuscript is, but he doesn't give it credit of being an ancient document like Teicher does. He says hmm. it's a phony, it's a fake, and if you want to catch the forger, you need to look no further than Christ Church. Christ Church in Jerusalem, where Shapiro went. Why? Because there's a copy of the Ten Commandments on the wall. He has the Book of Common Prayer. He's a Christian. He follows Jesus. Jesus said, uh, you know this, love God, love your neighbor. And, and then, blah, voila, his case is closed. He slams the door. He thinks he's proved it. My hair gets on fire every time somebody says Because here's why, Jono. Mm. We, no doubt, the Christian Gospels, let's give credit where credit is due, mm. this idea of loving your neighbor is an idea that Christianity embraced in a very public and outspoken way. It's it a major theological focus of the New Testament faith. It yeah. absolutely is. Yeah. As is, by the way, uh, the, I mean, uh, like we were talking uh, earlier today, uh, the Decalogue is a, or at least was, a major focus of the quote-unquote Judeo-Christian um, uh, Western world. Yeah. And you would have it in the courtrooms, in the schools, in the in the uh, public halls and various other places. Now it's been removed from that, and we could go on and on about that mm -hmm. at the moment. But um, uh, but but that is a, a legacy of Christianity. They did uh, and do have a, a a huge focus, not just on the Decalogue, but particularly on uh, on this uh, aspect of um, uh, Leviticus chapter nineteen seventeen. Yep. So, so one of the things that, that I felt was important to argue uh, or, or to counter that view, number one, the, this idea of loving your neighbor, although Jesus could be credited with making it very popular. You ever hear of a song that wasn't so popular by the original artist, but the remake uh, the, you know, the, when the next artist picks it up, they take it to the top of the charts. It's almost like Jesus did that with love your neighbor. You know, he, he took something... Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. You know, mm. uh, he took something that was already... It's He's not quoting himself here, clearly. He's not quoting the Christian. Uh, he is quoting uh, the Pentateuch. He's quoting the mm. Holiness Code, Leviticus 19, we suppose. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, so, now that was my first argument. D to suggest that this is not a Jewish idea, a Jewish text in its origin, is to mm. almost say, well, you know, how could a Jew possibly have something this beautiful and sublime? <laughs> you know, they, they, they talk about uh, these yucky, icky laws, like you can't eat pork chops and crawfish. You know, it's like that's all they, mm. they, they want to... That's all they... Yeah. yeah. Now, so the first thing I want to say is, if the, Jesus is quoting something, he's quoting from the Torah, from the Pentateuch, so let's give credit where credit's due. Now, that's one mm. argument. Now, here's my other point. This document, the Decalogue and Shapira's document, Shapira or any forger couldn't have gotten it from the walls of Christ Church. Jono, we could go in Christ Church when we go to Jerusalem if we so chose uh, mm -hmm. But but we would not find this version of the ten words there. In fact, no. one of the greatest, uh, uh, the biggest trouble Shapira got into with the German scholars of the day is many of them were fundamentalist Christians, and mm. the fir from the very get go. 
They said, how dare you? Yeah, exactly. Schlopman and Delich said, how dare you suggest that this uh, version of the Ten Commandments is older than our authentically genuine blah, blah, blah. So he's now, not going to change one it. Of them, didn't one of them attack? Were you telling me that one of them said to uh, Shapira, how dare you even suggest that, that our Lord and Savior had, yes. had, the, yeah. had yeah. the wrong Ten yeah. Commandments? Yeah. You, you yeah. That's right, uh, and so there was a, they really got that back up about this, and and it is ridiculous to make such accusations because, as you say, Leviticus nineteen. Yeah, but that's not the only thing uh, that Leviticus nineteen has in common with the uh, Shapiro Decalogue. Ross, can we quickly touch on some of those? Yeah, go ahead, hit that. You you want to you well, want to tell that? Well, it's just it's just the, the, that's right because when we think of the uh, the ten words, we go, well, there's a copy of that in Deuteronomy, there's a copy of that in Leviticus, and when you read Exodus, the yeah. yeah. Uh, in in Exodus, sorry, but yep. when you read the uh, Shapira scroll, the, the the Moses scroll, you go, hang on a second. There's some similarities with some other passages. There's another, uh, what is it? Uh, there's a chapter in, in Deuteronomy where you sort of pick up, yeah. um, where you can kind of make out they're trying to to bring another uh, rendition of the of the ten words. But certainly in Leviticus chapter 19, this is an attempt of recapturing the ten words as they uh, as they recalled it whenever that particular document was written. Um, one of the major similarities, of course, is that the uh, the list in Leviticus chapter 19, after each commandment is uh, is written out, there is an attempt to separate it by yep. signing it off as God. In this case, I am Jehovah. Uh, I, Jehovah, am your God. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ross, give us a bit more detail. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's exactly right. Whereas Leviticus 19 ends these commandments or the list, as you speak, uh, I am Jehovah, your Elohim, uh, whereas this document, uh, the, the uh, manuscript that Shapira had, says, I, I, yeah, that's right. So there is some similarity there. But the, one of the other points that I wanted to bring forward uh, to these people like Clawens, who I have, you know, I mean, I, I have a good relationship. I've exchanged emails with him. He's very cordial, mm -hmm. very nice. He's read my book. He even likes my book. He said he's looking nice. forward to the next one. So he's a nice guy, and Dr. James Tabor said he's one of the nicest scholars you'll ever meet. So I don't mean to come across like I'm picking on Jonathan Clawence. He's a he's a brilliant scholar, but he's got this. Anyone view. called Jonathan has got to be a good bloke. That's, that's, that's right. My that's right. Yeah. No, he, but he is a great guy. But but see, his view is he wants to find out. First of all, he's starting from the premise that it's a forgery, and he's looking for the smoking gun. Well, if his smoking gun is Look, Shapira is a Christian, he's a Jewish Christian, so he wants to make a text which is suitable for the Jewish Christian church, and what better way to present a forgery than to take out what you don't want, only put in what you do want, and since the focus of the Jewish church in Jerusalem, that Shapira went to, by the way, was the mm. Decalogue, He's going to have a cleaned-up version of the Decalogue. He's going to make it a little bit more Christian by putting this thing about uh, your neighbor. Now, here's one of the final points that I need to make. It doesn't say, love your neighbor as yourself as commandment number 10. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. There's a big mm. difference there. So what we have in the Decalogue, we don't have the Decalogue framed with, love God, and love your neighbor. That's not what these 10 words say. These 10 mm. words talk about don't do idolatrous things, number one. And number mm. 10 would be don't hate your brother in your heart. Now, I think it's a big stretch 
to conflate those two different uh, views and smash it all together and say, this here is a Christian document for the reasons Mm. I just stated. So Mm. the idea uh, that we've covered, basically, is that now that we've effectively, in, in our episode number 17, we've worked through the 10 words, and one of the things that, just to recap, number 9 and 10... Uh, number nine is represented in two various forms in the canonical text, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. They don't match. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're going to try to make 10 words out of it, the Lutherans and the Catholics win. Um, Mm -hmm. as As you work through these texts, the closest we can get to what is probably the source is what we see in Shapira's document because we find traces of that in both Exodus and in Deuteronomy, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. But they both add, they interpolate, they add other mm. things to the text, which is so clean, so basic in Shapira's manuscript. Uh, I think this is more proof uh, leaning towards authenticity yeah. uh, for the case, and I just think it's incredible. Now, uh, one one other thing is when we get ready uh, in next week, we're going to go into a very fragmented. Uh, it's 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 very difficult to read. There are actually four columns of which we only make out a part of it. And you and I, Jono, have had a lot of conversations about what may have been there. And, oh yeah, and so we'll be able to talk a little bit about what Dershowitz this is comes be really up with. Interesting. Yeah. But but just one one other point about when you have gaps in an ancient text, if anybody out there, by the way, this is the seventy fifth anniversary of the discovery of the the scrolls at Qumran, popularly mm. known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Twenty twenty two is the seventy fifth anniversary. There's a new edition, a special edition that just came out in Time Magazine, a Life Magazine, and in that Geo, so people can order those. Um, Mm. And it's fascinating. So it's a big, big deal to talk about Dead Sea Scrolls, but if you were to go to the store or go to Amazon and you bought uh, Weiss, Abeg, and Cook on the Dead Sea Scrolls, or Gaze of Vermish, or one of these, you'll find that uh, when they get to a point where they can't read it, they, they do this thing that I just talked about in this episode here. They might have an ellipsis. They might have brackets mm-hmm. where they reconstruct the text. We see that in Dead Sea Scroll scholarship all the time. You, you have to make your best attempt at reconstructing what these texts said. So, A, you get everything you can get from the original if you can. In the case of Shapira's document... We have these manuscript transcribers, and we got it really, really close. Where we have to speculate, we need to say that, and we will. Mm, good stuff. All right, now, before we before we finish, uh, I just want to just add one theological note to our final commandment that appears in the Moses Scroll here. Um, hate in heart. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Who would know, Ross? Who would know whether what, what goes on within one's heart? Um, except for God, except for Elohim. Right. And uh, it can only be judged by, by God, bringing to mind our favorite prophet, Jeremiah. Uh-huh. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10, which says, I, the Lord, and we've already spoken about the, um, that, you know, for each commandment, for each word that appears in the Decalogue of the Shapira scroll, the, the Moses scroll, 
there is a corresponding blessing, there's a corresponding verse. This is what it says in Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to give to each person according to his ways, according to the res uh, the results of his deeds. Mm. And uh, so I just thought that is worth throwing into the mix because I think maybe, maybe this is the only uh, commandment that is specific to God perceiving within the heart. That's uh, a good point. Stuff. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's some fascinating material. Uh, I'm excited to be doing this with you. I'm excited to be back. I know our listeners, We I apologize that we were out for a few weeks. Ah, it's uh, summer here. What are you going to do? That's right. <laughs> but, hey, but hey, we're back. And look, what, let's close out by telling people these spots, this isn't just a sales pitch. I mean, last night we were on the phone and, and there were three people that we were talking to about buying tickets and, mm. and one of them bought... Uh, a place on Peggy bought uh, her way onto the Israel mm. and the Jordan tour. So I think everybody that can come join us on both of them if you can. You know, and if you can, join us on both. Pick, pick whichever one you want, either way. But if you can do both, it's going to be fantastic. We're going to have a great time. Just just know that the uh, particularly with the Jordan tour, uh, tickets are much more limited. So um, get in early because they they are selling. Tanaktours.com. Tanaktours.com. There is a link on the website of truthtoyou.org. Take you right there. And we look forward to seeing you in both holy lands. How about that? That's right. That's right. All right. That's it, dear listeners. Thank you so much. We will be uh, uh, tuning in this time next week. Until then, have a great one. Have a beautiful week.